Hi, and welcome back to the UB Pointers podcast. March here at Upward Bound is STEAM themed. So STEAM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Art, and Math. So similar to like the STEM, they just added an A in there. So now it's STEAM. Um, So we're going to be pretty much all March is going to be a bunch of STEAM themed things um, and some college visits. So um, you'll hear more about that later in the podcast when we have breaks and do updates. So stay tuned for that. So we have a lot of events coming and um, I think there's almost almost one pretty much every week. But um, let's start by hearing from an Upward Bound alumni who works in the STEAM field. So it was very cool that um, not only is she a female in a STEAM field, in a science-y type field, um, she was also an alumni. So I think that's really cool. Um, Judy is taking uh, like control of this podcast because she knows her the best. But without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Chris Bronk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the uh, latest issue of the Upward Bound UB Pointers podcast. Um, I am going to be doing more of the talking than Jessica, um, unfortunately for all of you, but <laughs> our guest <laughs> today, okay. yeah, our guest today is uh, an Upper Bond alumni, um, Chris Brock, and she, you went, to, you went to Rochelle High School, correct, Chris? I went to Rochelle Elementary School, and then right at that summer, I joined Upward Bound. Um, we moved to the DC Everest District. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, because I know I know you graduated from um, DC Everest High School in like 1995, and I know everybody here is going to be thinking that, oh my God, I wasn't even born, and you're correct. But <laughs> I knew Chris. I was the academic coordinator. So I was in Jessica's position when Chris was in high school. So if you think Chris is old, then you probably think I'm like your grandma or something. But that's okay. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. So I wanted to invite an alumni on, um, particularly one who has a PhD, because we have maybe three. I know three alumni right now who have a PhD, but I think Chris was our first one. That's exciting. Yes, it was exciting. So um, I wanted, and we're having um, some STEAM events coming up in March. And Chris, I'll let her talk to you about her current, um, her story. But um, I know she's in the science field and women in STEM with a PhD is, I don't want to say it's rare, but it's, um, and it's not unusual these days, but you kind of came up in the time when maybe it wasn't as, common as it is now maybe <laughs> yeah I, well I, I think I was on the you know coattails of the folks who were when it was women were rare in STEM yep. Yep. and so I, I was on the beginning of it becoming a little bit more normal from the PhD aspect mm-hmm. yeah. I think you know I, I would say there's more now um yeah. looking at my the the group that um works for my graduate advisor now I mean it's it's a it's a good mix of, of male and female but, uh, so yeah. I guess we can start. Do you want to just talk a little bit about your college journey since Upward Bound? I mean, I know, I think you started at UWSP. And yes, then you went yeah. To Lane, right? Yeah. I, so I did my undergrad all at UWSP. Um, I did, I took chemistry uh, with the, uh, the polymer option. I don't know if that's still available these days. Um, <laughs> but it, it was one of the few schools actually in the country that had the 
the American Chemical Society accredited polymer option. Um, I didn't take the accredited part, but it was essentially the same thing. Essentially, I didn't have to take the test at the end um, for the accreditation. But the uh, from there, I went to Tulane University in New Orleans uh, to join the graduate program to get into the PhD program there. Um, Tulane is smack dab in the uptown of New Orleans, which is lovely. It's a great old campus. They call it the Harvard of the South, which was very cool to be in. But the chemistry department is actually relatively small. Um, very, very comfortable. You know, it was not very competitive. Instead, it was, you know, co collaborative and cooperative, which was much, much, it was a good fit for my personality. And then after being there for four years, my graduate advisor decided to take a job somewhere else. <laughs> and in the PhD realm, you go where your graduate advisor is because he's directing your research and probably funding it too. And so go with your funding. Mm -hmm. And since I was almost done, um, that made sense. Otherwise I'd have to really start all over mm -hmm. and I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So we packed up the lab and we moved to the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And I had the option of graduating from Tulane or Amherst. And when it comes to chemistry, Amherst has a higher reputation than the Harvard of the South. So <laughs> I took that option. Mm -hmm. um, take what bonuses you can. But I actually was only on campus for a year. And then it took me another year to finish writing my dissertation. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that kind of spills into my like next question, because I know our students are thinking of we're just trying to get them into their first step, like their first four year bachelor's degree. And so for students to think a PhD that seems like, you know, super time consuming and it, and it is. So I just kind of wanted to talk about, um, your, so your doctorate's in chemistry as well, correct? Correct. So uh, students, when you hear pro uh, professors, sometimes you think they're called doctor so-and-so. Um, I'm trying to think, um, our English teacher in the summer, um, Lauren Gant, she's a doctor. Um, so Chris, you, you, do you call yourself Dr. Bronk or? Is that how that goes? Uh, I, I do. I, I do use that as the title. Um, and that actually kind of, you know, as we're talking, you mentioned talking about women in STEM. Mm -hmm. the, that's the reason I do it is that there are more often, there are many times I've been, you know, confused as um, when I was teaching, when I was confused as a student, uh, when, uh, you know, I was at, at the National Laboratory, I was confused for an admin assistant. And, you know, so when you're writing emails and, and whatnot and documenting it, you know, to give a little gravitas to, you know, you know what you're talking about. You know, I always put, you know, you know, comma PhD or, you know, I, I prefer to have the, the doctor as my title. I'm not Ms. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, I've had a number of, um, well, women mentors in my life and just just in the trio world at conferences and things where you hear that a lot from women, especially women of color who say that they purposely like some people think it's snooty like doctor this doctor that but I, I understand why women in particular like to do that because um, I hate to say it, but it gives them more <laughs> respect in their field. And that's kind of sad that it's, you know, 2021 and we still have to deal with that kind of stuff. But um, so in terms of a PhD. So you do four years of an undergrad, correct? And then 
did you do like a two-year master program or do you just go straight from bachelor's to PhD? So with chemistry, you can go straight to PhD. So I skipped master's um, okay. completely. Uh, normally if people, it's one of those things in, in the US, if you have a master's in chemistry, that it means either you were tired of grad school or you were told by your advisor it's time for you to go okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that you weren't going to make it. You at least got something out of your work. So that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So when you decided to that you were going to pursue a PhD, did you know you wanted to be a professor or did you want to do research or what was your end game? So when I was an undergrad, I started actually, I was in the chemistry program and I was in the secondary ed program because I thought originally I was going to do the high school teaching route. And then after a few courses that I thought were not really useful for teaching high school chemistry, <laughs> they're, they're great for they're great for you know elementary school. But I was like, why am I taking this when this is just not going to apply to what I'm going to do? Mm -hmm. um, I kind of dropped the uh, the education part of my my uh, career path there and decided to go to uh, looking into becoming a professor little did I know um, <laughs> that, you know, most professors teaching is a very small portion of what they do. And a majority of it is research and finding money for research. And hence, I didn't stick in that realm too long. <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't what I like to do. Teaching was fun. Yeah, rest wasn't so much. So what research have you done? Or what was your <laughs> <name here? laughs> So my, Anything anybody my, would recognize. <laughs> let, let me give you the gambit because some of it's kind okay. of interesting just for the fun <laughs> of it. Um, so uh, my my skill set in, in chemistry, my PhD is in organic synthesis. So um, being a good lab chemist and you know somebody dreams up a molecule, I'm, I can help create it. And I was on the the edge of the polymer realm and the regular, normal, traditional organic chemistry realm. So it was kind of an interesting place to be at. So when I went, so I went from grad school to a one-year teaching job um, at our smallest college in Walla Walla, Washington. <laughs> um, and then I ended up at the National Lab, which is about an hour from there in Richland, Washington. And there I did everything from Coating silica particles became sort of one of the things I could do really well with different functional groups. Um, some of them were for capturing, say, carbon or CO2 um, as a carbon capture technique. Uh, others were for capturing um, explosive residue. And so, for example, the if you have, you know, go, oh, when we can travel again, when you go through the TSA and they swipe your bags and they put it in a machine to analyze it that we had one of those machines in our lab and our, our goal was to try to make a better swipe by functionalizing the surface of that material so it could pick up smaller quantities of, of explosives so it'd be a better detector mm -hmm. and if that didn't work we were going to try to coat some of the in inner parts of the detector to see if it would be better mm, okay. so essentially explosives detection okay and <laughs> exciting <laughs> yeah well there's that and then i also worked at a uh, a place where they were destroying nerve agent and and sarin, sarin and mustard gas. And because of that work, when I went back to the national lab, 
I got to make some in the lab and, and they were using it to, they were decontaminating it and then looking for residue and see if they could basically build a forensic database because I was making it with things you could buy over the counter. So they wanted to see if they could backtrack it to those original bottles of things I bought. Yeah. So I'm, I catch myself doing this a lot and it probably annoys people, but I'm always like, who's the first person who thought this? Like it had to be like, who thought to do? So it's like people like you. Yeah. Oh, you know, I was, I was more of the, you know, I, well, and that was it, through all of that. I realized that I was not the one who came up with the great progress. Mm -hmm projects mm -hmm. to work on. Mm -hmm. Somebody came up with that and I was like, oh, well, I can do that, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so somebody might have the dream of it and I might be able to implement the dream. And, and I find that more often than not, that's kind of where I land is that somebody's got a problem or a project and I can, I can make it work to try to get to the end point. So just to give students an idea from when you graduated from high school to when you completed your dissertation and officially could call yourself a PhD doctor, how many years of schooling was that? Well, let's see, it took four years of undergrad. I was in the lab for five years in grad school and then it took me another year to write. Okay. So it was right around that 10 year mark. Isn't that evil? So that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but I do know that other people, when they're working on their PhD, a lot of them are in the professional world working and they're kind of just playing away at their PhD as well. So there's different ways to, to go about that. You kind of just went the direct road kind of. Right. Yeah. yeah part, part of it too is with the sciences, you, you know, you, and it's not a lot of classes in grad school. It's one year of classes mm -hmm. and the rest of the time you live in the lab. Okay. And so it's, 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 it kind of depends on the field. So, you know, I'm sure, you know, most, many education PhDs, you know, they, they build that up over time as through their professional career. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, you know, if you're going for the sciences, you're going to dedicate some time. If you're going through some other fields, it, it may be different. And I, and I couldn't really tell you exactly what that path would be. Okay, so dissertation for students, it's kind of like a really long research paper. <laughs> so how long was yours and what was your topic? Mine was 300 odd pages. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. Most most of that was, so for, for a chemistry PhD, the first 100 pages were actually the text of the document, mm -hmm. whereas the last 200 pages were, um, for chemistry, it's all experimental. So how I made every molecule, every picture of every molecule, every analytical piece of data to prove that that molecule is what I said it was. Um, so that was because the pictures were huge and I was, like I said, I was on the border of, of building polymers. So those are huge molecules. Some of the times the pictures took up a whole page of just okay. one molecule. So, so there's a lot of pictures. Yeah, but it's not like you just only have two weeks to do it. Like you're working on it for a couple of years. So. I spent a year and if I would, if I would have actually been writing it while I was in grad school, mm -hmm. I would have been done probably a year earlier. Mm -hmm. So note to self, if you're, if you've got a big paper, start it early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing is like, I had a professor in grad school who thought you should go on and get a PhD in social welfare. And I could not think of myself as like caring enough about one thing enough to do that. <laughs> like you really have to like really have a passion for something to do a dissertation in it. Cause uh, like, if you hear titles or, what professors do their dissertation on it'll be like something so narrowly focused and you're like how would you have that kind of passion for something like that but yeah I mean, obviously you did yeah I, I 
Yeah, well, my my graduate advisor, he was he was super passionate. He actually um, started at Tulane like a month after I got there. Um, I went early and went for the summer and worked for anybody. I, I got the opportunity to work with anybody I wanted to until just to be in New Orleans, which, you know, I was going to take them up on that. Um, but the uh, the guy I chose to be in my advisor, he was a first time professor, just gung ho. And he's still gung ho to this day about his projects and you know he's got a thousand ideas and that that he's got floating around and and they're really great and then you know he kind of gets students involved in it and sometimes they take it a different direction and and come up with something wild and new he's doing stuff that's way different than what we did when i was there they're not even doing things that i was doing back in the day um but yeah my my project was you know it was fun and interesting at the time but I don't think about it too much now. I have to really <laughs> like stretch to stretch to think about what what exactly did I prove with that? Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what I don't know. Like I said, you have to be pretty committed to want to get your PhD. So what challenges or what was it like overall? Did you ever have anything like what am I doing and I just want to stop doing this or switch gears? <laughs> oh yeah. Like, what challenges did you face when you're going through this process? Oh, at some, at some point, you know, you just get burnt out of, of working in the lab, um, you know, because essentially, so so with going to, to grad school, at least in, in most sciences, I would say, you know, don't quote me on that as gospel, but, you know, they pay your tuition, they pay you a stipend, you teach a class, you know, teach some lab classes, so you're kind of theirs, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you're not allowed to have an outside job, you know, you're, you're, meant to be a student and and that they've got you focused and so you know my you know some graduate advisors are more lax than others but you know most of them are you know hey you're going to be in the lab 60 to 80 hour, 60 to 80 hours a week and not just in the lab but working and that's if you want to get done within four to five years and so you go okay that's what it takes um now of course that's synthetic chemistry there's a lot of hands-on things take time you know, some of the theoretical chemists might get away with, you know, a lot easier because they're running computer module models and stuff like that. So um, it, it's it's tedious and, and, you know, you learn how to do everything from rebuild um, mechanical pumps to, you know, try not to catch yourself on fire with pyrophoric chemicals. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> okay. but, so there, but with working... In the lab like that you built a lot of good camaraderie with your your lab mates because you're mm -hmm. you're all working hard and tired but you do hit a wall mm -hmm. uh, i hit mine about the third between the third and fourth year pretty good i was just like i gotta stop i'm like i'm done with this mm -hmm. people are like you're almost done just mm -hmm. suck it up I'm like all right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i suppose if, after you invest all that time and effort then you want to see it so so what do you do now then? Like, are you, why are you professor at what school and what, what's your daily life like now? <laughs> oh, so like I said, I went from being a prof professor to uh, working at a national lab as a postdoc then working at an army lab and then going back to the national lab. Um, and then I decided working for the government was um, not what I wanted to do. Um, being at a national lab it's kind of like being a professor except you don't have to teach so you're still begging for money and you're still trying to do do work mm -hmm. um the begging for money part gets gets a lot of people and it got me too so 
uh, decided it was time to kind of change roles. And uh, at that time at the National Lab, I was already doing some health and safety work with the health and safety department. And so I applied to uh, Westlake Chemical in, uh, in Texas. And lo and behold, they needed a regulatory chemist and they were looking for a PhD specifically. And so I, they took a chance on me and I learned how to read regulations and understand food contact law and how that applies to chemistry and, and kind of wound my way into uh, product stewardship and regulatory compliance, which okay. is, I think, where I'm meant to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then what's your, like, do you live in Charleston? Is that where you live? Yeah, I'm living in Charleston now. Okay. We've taken a couple trips to Charleston with students. I love that city. It's, it's got a lot of cool things to do and see and whatever, so... So you're a woman in a STEM field, and again, STEM students is science, technology, engineering, math. Um, now we're doing STEAM, so you add arts in there, so that's called STEAM. Um, did you, or are you still having to overcome, like, it's not a whole lot of women who necessarily do what you do. What kinds of challenges do you have in that regard? In my current role, it's not, not too, too, too bad. Um, the folks in my group are essentially all my eight, my age or younger. Um, so now I'm one of the old ones. Um, when, I, when I first got there, that wasn't the case. We had a couple of people who just recently retired. So, um, so you know, the 40-somethings the are, are the oldest our group is. And I think we've got some 20, maybe barely 30-somethings um, in our group. So it's a, it's a young group. So the, the attitudes are different. Mm -hmm. um, the my previous position uh, was in rural Texas. And so you get a lot of the, the male female um, hurdles, regardless of, of what, what uh, degree you have. And so for example, I love my boss there. He's great. I still talk to him, but uh, very old school Southern guys. And so, you know, they won't curse in front of you. They, you know, even like, pseudo curse words are, are forbidden. You know, it's just the sort of the typical Southerness um, for men. But what'll happen is that a bunch of the guys will start talking, you know, personal stuff and, and, and non-work related stuff. And, you know, they'll, they'll kind of keep to themselves and so that they don't, you know, offend my delicate sensibilities. And, and <laughs> then they'll start talking about work and, you get, you miss out on those conversations because, yeah. you know, they, they don't think to bring you in because they're just continuing whatever conversation they were already having. Mm -hmm. So it's not blatant. It's not, it's not on purpose, mm -hmm. but I've seen it happen multiple times. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so it, it, it's, that one is a little bit more cultural, male, female than anything else, but you know, that's probably the, the worst of it I've gotten over the last eight years or so. Okay. So, I mean, it's hard, like, we live, well, you've worked at a university before and like the government things we can relate to, but we're like heavily student affairs, like training and background. So it's like hard for me to like, um, under, not, not understand, but it's like we come from a student affairs background. So like the science is a whole different part of the brain than what I'm like used to talking about. <laughs> and, you know, the student affairs, the student affairs says we're, we're, I was always way more the, 
history, social science, English, and avoided chemistry like the plague. So the fact that you, especially organic chemistry, holy hell, that's like really hard. So <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that organic chemistry being the, you know, the make or break class for, you know, pre-meds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you remember in high school, like when you were in Upward Bound, when you were in high school, um, did you always know that you were going to go into some kind of like sciencey field or one of that kind of interest spark? Yeah. You know, it was, I was definitely afraid of taking high school chemistry um, because I didn't know, I was like, how am I going to understand a science I can't see? Mm -hmm. um, you know, because you're talking to molecules and atoms and you realize you, you know, you can't see them unless you got a bunch of them, right? Um, and so that, that baffled me on how I was going to wrap my brain around that. But once I got into it, things clicked really well. And so those basic you know, fundamental chemistry was like, oh, okay, I got this. And, and then it just kept building on that. And, mm -hmm. and so once you build that confidence in it, then I was like, all right, this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, but it was not until I, I kind of had a taste of it before I, I knew for sure. So take those classes, students that you don't necessarily know if you're going to like, because you never know what's going to turn it. Like, I never thought I would be at the upward bound for this long. It's supposed to be a summer job, man, and move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff and Jessica do right right any? yeah oh I know yeah yeah <laughs> do you have anything you want to ask yet otherwise I'll just keep yabbering away um <laughs> so in terms of upward like when you were in upward bound is like it was drastically the program was a lot different structured differently um like now we have a lot more accountability than we did back when you were in the program and like things we have to do, like the regulations are just more enough. You know a lot about regulations, but <laughs> um, how did your upward bound experience now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how did your upward bound experiences like help you through college and your PhD and just helping you design your career? I guess? Being that I was from, you know, small town Rochelle. One second. Mm -hmm. I think it said 600 on the sign um, okay. which, I, which I always thought was funny because you know I lived in the in the country away from there and the school building was K through 12 and it held 600 people so mm -hmm. we I don't know if we doubled the size of the town because everybody was bust in um, I always thought that was funny but yeah so being from the the small town and you know mom and dad never went to to you know, any sort of university experience. Um, being able to stay on campus during the summers, you know, kind of get a feel for what a campus looks like, what going to, you know, just the, the typical stuff, living in a dorm, res, uh, you know, getting food at a residence hall, you know, if you'd never done those things and you don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. um, and so just kind of that, by having that background, you can kind of go, okay, I at least know how to how I'm going to live, you know, eat, sleep, etc. Mm -hmm. Classes we've done. I mean, classes are school, so you know, it's just a one step further. And so, you, you kind of it takes away some of that um, that unknowingness that we have, and, and and the fear of the unknown. And it also makes it easier then to you know go move across country on your own and and go to keep going to school and keep mm -hmm. doing these things because you. It's one new experience, but it's, you realize it's still just, you know, it's just a new town. Mm -hmm. 
and yeah, the rules are a little bit different. Grad school is a little bit different in that regard, but you know, you can handle it. Um, so it's the, it's a confidence building aspect mm -hmm. of that, especially like I said, if you don't have the experience, it's one, one heck of a way to get it. Mm -hmm. I remember you being pretty, um, well, not just ambitious, but like always willing to try like new experiences. Like, did you go to Washington DC one summer with a leadership choice? Okay, like there was a student leadership conference and I think you're like actually the last, no, we we did it for a couple of years after that, but that Jeff and Hezekiah, you know, we have, if you see those trio student leadership congresses and we're like, we haven't done that in like eons, but I think Chris was one of the first ones that we sent students out to DC to, to do that. So, and I remember when you were at point and you'd be in touch and you said you were just going to go to New Orleans because you wanted to get out of Wisconsin and have a new experience. I just remember just being like, wow, that's pretty brave just to want to pack up and move to a completely like, Schofield and Rochelle could not be, you know, more different than New Orleans, different than like <laughs> New Orleans you know, so just having that, you know, I don't know what, what it is about you that you just wanted to go out and explore. And I, I see that in some of our students where they're like, I just want to get out of Wisconsin and go to California or New York. And it's, what was that like? Was that like a culture class? Because I always like tell students, well, you have to, you know, be pretty committed to want to do that because that's a big change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. To, and you would have to like, how did you navigate like those kind of changes? Because you were still what, 20, early 20s? 21. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I. Thanks for making it to the middle of the podcast. Go you. So now it's time for updates. Uh, we have, like I said before, quite a few events and different things happening in March. Um, so aside from all your school visits, which are Thursdays from 5.30 to 6.30, uh, the first three Thursdays, you can come to any of the ones that you want. Um, I have them organized by school, but if you miss one, that's fine. Um, but make sure to keep checking your emails and things like that. Um, also, contact your TAs. About half of you haven't really been doing that, so please, 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 please do that. Um, otherwise, for the fun stuff, our events, uh, March 4th, we have an Eau Claire College visit, so UW Eau Claire, um, and that will be, like I said, March 4th at 6.30. Uh, you can find all the links and stuff for that on our website. Uh, March 13th, which is a Saturday, I know, but um, it's going to be our STEAM event that I kind of talked about in the beginning. So again, STEAM is Science, Technology, Engineering, Art, and Math. And for that, we are going to have some different speakers come in and talk about different uh, STEAM fields and what you can do in those. So we have chemistry, we have psychology, uh, we have theater arts and then we have family consumer sciences. So uh, two of those are my major, which is kind of cool. But um, so yeah, that's gonna be really fun. And then um, March 30th and 31st, we're going to have an in-person tour at UWSP. So a lot of you already kind of know about it, but if you wanna do something in person and see people, now is your time. Um, we're going to have to split it up and do it a bit different, um, but you do have to register. And so register as soon as you get that link, just go in there and register for it uh, because we have to split up people 
um, within two days. So we do give you a choice of the 30th or the 31st. Uh, it's up to you. But uh, yeah, just get that done as soon as possible. All right, now back to Chris. You know, the hardest part was, you know, finding an apartment across the country. That was a, that was an adventure. Um, and then once, you know, I, I was willing to do pretty much any apartment that looked decent, I was good for it, right? Um, it was a little bit further away from campus, which kind of sucked. But other than that, um, traffic was really evil mm -hmm. <laughs> in New Orleans. But uh, to go 10 miles, 10 to 15 miles, I think it took me an hour during rush hour. It was like... See those are the kind but, of things uh, that I wouldn't have patience with. <laughs> yeah. I had patience for a year. <laughs> and then I moved uh, moved to the uptown in New Orleans. Um, I lived in a quote-unquote basement apartment. Um, so it's essentially in, in a very old, very nice old house uh, in, in uptown New Orleans that essentially the, the quarters I was living in was essentially what would be like the servant's quarter type thing. <laughs> not really a basement it's the ground level but it's you know it's servants quarters type thing for the house um, <laughs> it worked it was great i lived there for two two years yeah um, but um, so did but, you what kind of cultural differences did you notice between small town or central wisconsin and big city New Orleans? <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably a lot <laughs> a lot um you know the the First and foremost, especially that first apartment complex, a complex I lived in, um, was very diverse. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm a white kid from. It was the whitest congressional district in the U.S. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't think it still is anymore, <laughs> but it was. <laughs> I don't think it is. I think I've looked it up recently. It's yeah. not. <laughs> um, but you know that that being that you know, I had gone through many years of upward bound and and. When I was an undergrad, I, I lived in the Multicultural Resource Center with with Bill Wright. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I was always, you know, so that that, that was yeah. not an issue. Um, but you know, it still was kind of a little shocking to to not see very many white faces at all, mm -hmm. versus you know the the percentages that we we have in in Central Wisconsin. And then the going further, just you know, being that you are in a new city all by yourself and this is before gps and cell phones were really a normal thing yeah, um so you know that's true yeah <laughs> I, you know printing out map quest because that was because yep. google maps didn't exist yet yep. um <laughs> yeah so having my map quest directions in my car and then you know the first time my car had an issue i was like oh my god now what mm -hmm. um and i'm not at home and i'm i was i think in the walmart parking lot um mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and you don't have a cell phone. Yeah, no, no cell, no cell phone. I mean, I didn't yep. get a, I didn't get my first like truly usable cell phone until about like six to eight months after that. Um, so yeah, it was an adventure. Uh, luckily, uh, my car troubles weren't too bad, and I made it home and could call <laughs> call home. And my dad's like, "Go to the local library and find a Chilton book." I'm like, "Okay." Because the internet, the internet didn't have all those things yet. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was pretty. This was early internet days, um, yeah. so that you know, MapQuest was about the only thing you really, you know, you use the internet for frequently. Um, I think back on that, I'm like, how did we ever survive without being able to Google something? <laughs> oh, I know, I know, and, and yeah, now I'm like, you know, I, I went to uh, Paris two years ago now. Well, it'll be two years this spring, and I'm like. I went by myself 
no big deal. I, I had Google. I, I could find my way around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would not have done that without Google. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Did you miss your, um, I've had students like when, because you lived at home for your undergrad, right? Or did you live in the residence? No, I lived on I lived on campus first two years, and then I had apartment apartments for my last two. Okay, okay. Um, I've just had students, you know, what surprises them sometimes when they go away is that they do miss their family and like their pets, and because you know, as much as they say, "Oh, I can't wait to be out of this <laughs> town and out of this house," then I, you know, they already realize how much they miss that normal routine of seeing their pets and their family so did you ever have any of that like I know you had a younger brother who was also an upward bound but yeah um my brother so what the when I went to New Orleans my brother graduated high school that that same year I graduated college mm -hmm. and so he went into the army and so my parents were empty nesters for the first time <laughs> um fully and so that was a uh, that was a bit much on them but uh you know, I would, I would call and that's when you still had to pay for long distance too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, but I would always call them and, you know, talk for at least an hour or more on, on mm -hmm. a Sunday, um, which we still do, mm -hmm. which is lovely. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was an adventure that way, but yeah, you, you miss your parents. And I think my parents came down to New Orleans twice. And I might've gone home twice during those five, four years I was there. Mm -hmm. All right, so what tips would you have, if any, for students that are, when they're trying to decide on a career path and, or pursuing an advanced degree? We have a number of students who are interested in the health field, health careers, and those are all gonna take, or like therapy is another, like being a therapist or a counselor is another popular one, and those are all take like advanced degrees. So do you have any tips for students on what they should think about or? plan to do now, I guess, maybe besides doing research on what that career takes. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, not only just doing research on what that take on that particular career takes, but like, go find somebody in that field and and, and talk to them. Um, you know, the the more that I the more that I get older now, um, and have, have younger and uh, co workers and whatnot. Um, like we had a younger girl who had just graduated college. She was working in our group and we would talk about, you know, what, what her path is going to be. Cause we know that, you know, folks who are in, you know, the, the starting positions, they may stay or they may grow out of it and decide that they want to go somewhere else. And I think the biggest thing is to remember, you can change your mind. Um, like I said, I thought I was going to do the professor thing and then realized that the professor thing wasn't going to be for me. And, you know, did the research thing for a while and like, eh, no, still not me. Um, you know, and I switched up and started learning about health and safety and that got me into regulations, which mm -hmm. I never thought I would do anything that would touch the law. Mm -hmm. And um, and I like to think that the job I do now is like that intersection of a, of a Venn diagram between mm -hmm. science and, and the law. Mm -hmm. And so you gotta be able to talk to the lawyers, but you also gotta be able to talk to the, the folks in the lab. Uh -huh. um, and pass information back and forth. Which means too, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's a tra translating position, you know, you gotta be able, you gotta be able to be comfortable in that intersection um, to, uh, to help folks. But like I said, the the being able to change directions in, in your field, if you're not happy with it, it's okay. You know, it, it's more important to be happy with what you're doing. 
Um, and sometimes it's just maybe you don't like your coworkers and um, it's, it, it's toxic and you got to leave. That would never That's happen. okay too. Ever. No. <laughs> I've been at a couple jobs where, yeah, you know. A lot of people the, have. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. That's, that's the biggest thing too. I try to tell our students is you can change. So, you know, if you really want to be like, I wanted to be a therapist since I can remember. And then I got into it and then I took my um, intro to counseling and then I decided I don't want to be a therapist. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, what do I want to do now though? Because I want to like help people, but I really don't want to sit there and be a therapist all day. I don't think I could do that. And so I ended up in just nonprofit and, you know, cause that's where my heart is nonprofit. And then I worked with adults for a while and then realized I don't like adults. So <laughs> <laughs> and then this position opened up and I was like well I actually heard it from my sister that this position opened up and then I was like well is it okay for me to text Judy and tell her I want it <laughs> they didn't even post it yet <laughs> so I really wanted this job but, but honestly Jessica that, that's really um very common especially you know the more you get into fields it's not always about well I mean it's all people will look at resumes and look at, you know, what you can do, but man, if you can make those personal connections and set, you know, when, when jobs do open up, like for example, there's a position that's going to be opening up in our group. That's going to be kind of a mid-level position in our group. And, and we're looking for a certain particular set of skills. And I've got a friend who works at another company in, in uh, South Carolina here uh, a couple hours away. And I'm like, I wonder if we could steal her um, because she has, because, you know, I reconnected with her. I hadn't seen her in a while and, and I reconnected with her to ask her a few questions. And, I, you know, and as we were talking, I literally blurted that out without thinking about it, you know, because that was the first time I actually thought about stealing her. And I was like, man, we should steal you. She goes, well, you know, I, I, I'm open to listening. <laughs> like, oh, well, that's good. So we, we're about to put that that job offer to, or job uh, description together. And we're like, I will be calling her be like, you need to apply. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I do that too to people. I'm like, okay, listen, so you need to apply for this job because sometimes be perfect. People, <laughs> sometimes people just need that little boost of, mm-hmm. of because they, you know, one of the things I was told, and then that was one of the better things I was told about, you know, job applications is, is that that job description, it's a wish list of everything mm. that they want. It's mm. not, it's, it's not the floor, it's the ceiling. And mm. so, you know, if you think you got most of it, you know, go for it and, and, mm. and go from there. Um, but yeah, always take a, always take a job interview. It can't mm. hurt. Good practice. Yeah. 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 Well, we, um, I just lost my train of thought because it's Friday afternoon and I'm old. No. <laughs> you, oh, I, I know what I was going to say. You, um, like, you, okay, you had a chemistry background. I mean, there's a lot of, like, I think sometimes we have students who think that they need to apply, like, a major immediately to a translatable job. And, like, there are now doctors who majored in English because as long as you take all, all the right sciences and stuff as an undergrad, you can still get into med school with an English major. And in fact, um, recently they were talking about 
where they're looking for more people who are trained outside of the sciences because then they feel like you your communication skills like your people's interpersonal skills are a little bit more than like a lot of the sciencey people stay in the lab you know so they probably think oh, if you're an english major or you majored in communications you know how to deal with people right so um just because you say i'm i don't want to major in chemistry because i'm not going to go somewhere and be a chemist right away or whatever i mean there's lots of things you can do with a major i guess is what i'm trying to say so. yeah yeah i think i didn't realize you know the the, the depth and breadth of, of all the things i could do with chemistry really i mean there are so many um different jobs i mean for you know if you're on linkedin and look at you know looking for chemistry just in general so much comes through um everything from you know if you're a people person you can work your way into engineering and tech service um my, my last job i worked closely with the tech service reps and then you know these are people person you know people people mm -hmm. if you will mm -hmm. um but they they're they're they've got chem engineering backgrounds they understand the science of polyethylene and and how to make good packaging materials from them so you know they they weren't the lab rats they were you know they, but they weren't quite sales either but you could always move into sales if that was something you're you're interested in but they still wanted a chemistry person to, or a chem engineer or a chemist to be in that sales and or or tech service position mm -hmm. so you know there there are crossovers yeah just a lot of crossovers. Check out your husband started out as one of his friends started out as one major and then yeah like natural um, resources and is now in computer engineering or something yeah my so. husband his best friend he started in um like forestry or something and then he was like oh well there's not really a lot of jobs right now or whatever so he ended up taking like getting into computer programming and now he's a manager at skyward and <laughs> makes a bunch of money <laughs> and so like he still loves like he lives like out further and so he's in nature and stuff and he loves all that but he's he's a programmer now so <laughs> yeah so and like chris i just happened to think one of the things also to think about is like when you're choosing a career and you're how you're gonna go it's like if you're gonna be willing to move like marine biology is like a popular interest of a lot of our students and then when they find out well you're not gonna get marine biology in central wisconsin like you might <laughs> be able to get some kind of related like maybe if you go to like uw superior or uw milwaukee because they have like the great lakes but odds are you're gonna have to go to like florida or california or like be by or an even, ocean you know so yeah, you have Boston, to be willing any to of the coastal a, states yeah, yeah yep you're gonna have to be have that willingness to try to move around and even that when you get your undergrad degree you have to be willing to like pick up and move so like if you want to stay in your own little bubble then you you know got to pick something that's is going to be directly relatable to that area so yeah i think that that's a big one especially the higher degree you get the harder it is to find something near home mm -hmm. if you will um the there are plenty of chemistry type jobs for example in in wisconsin there's mm -hmm. Um, Kimberly Clark, as far as um, companies goes, Kimberly Clark, there's the paper industries. I know people at Appian, which is a, a paper packaging company. Um, 
Amcor is there. I mean, I can I can list off tons of companies that I've I've talked to over the years. I've, I've talked with the folks in, at Rustolium, um, which is in southern. They've got a Chicago, but they've also got a southern Wisconsin location as well. But I mean, even so, they are looking for you know their specific thing and. I don't always fit that specific thing. So hence, I've never made it back yeah. to Wisconsin. That's okay. Um, but I knew that when I, you know, started mm -hmm. um, my my career path to even just getting the PhD, because the higher degree your your degree is, the the more willing you've got to be able to, to be to to move. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and if you haven't caught it from 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 the story here, I was in Central Wisconsin, moved to Louisiana, then to Massachusetts then to Washington State, then to Texas, and now to South Carolina um, over the last 20 plus years, 25 years. Yeah, years. so out of all those states you lived in besides Wisconsin, which one is your favorite? Um, I love New Orleans. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I love Can't the- Can't you tell by her background? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my mom painted that oh, for me last year because um, <laughs> she knows too. <laughs> but- uh. But no, I love I love the music there. I love the the attitude. I uh, I miss you know the Mardi Gras parades. Um, I miss King Cake. <laughs> yeah, I saw your Facebook post the other day, and I'm like, that's why I was getting confused. I'm like, is she still in New Orleans? No, I thought she was. And, so, and I do remember that you lived in Washington for a while, so you were hopping across the country. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been an adventure. Um, you know, I I I still you know. This current job, I, I was randomly called. I didn't, I didn't go searching for this job, um, which was kind of awesome. That was a first for me. Um, they like literally picked my profile out of LinkedIn and said, hmm, so are you that's interested? another reason for connections. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, connections are great because, you know, even like the uh, uh, last job that they posted for our group, um, somebody who was on my LinkedIn network that I met at a conference somewhere, um, he, you know, I'm going to apply to this. I'm like, okay, you know, he wanted more information about, you know, the company and the position. Um, and, you know, I thought that was great, uh, great ambition for that person to uh, go ahead and, and contact somebody that they met once and happened to be in their network. Um, it's worth it. I mean, I know when I talk, like I said, I still take job interviews no matter where they come from or, you know, every once in a while I'll, I'll apply to a job just because it sounds interesting or mm -hmm. like my brother sent me a job to work at his company. I thought that was kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> haven't heard back from them, but we'll see. Um, that would make my mom happy. I was going to say, uh, is, are your parents still in Schofield or kind of? Area? Yeah, yeah, they're still yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they would love that. My niece would be thrilled. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, it's you never know who you know. And, and I always make sure I check who, whoever I'm talking to from a company, I, I look at their LinkedIn to make sure I'm connect or, you know, if I've got any random connection to anybody that they know, um, you know, I mention it um, to see if, you know, they knew that person or, you know, if we went to the same school, like my previous director, he happened mm -hmm. to got his undergrad at the University of, of Amherst, uh, Massachusetts Amherst. Mm -hmm. And so we had a connection and I made mm -hmm. sure I mentioned that in the first call I had with him. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So you would come back to Wisconsin at the opportunity, right? Yeah, for family, okay. for family. 
It is not, not the for weather, the weather. No. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, how cold <laughs> it was last week compared to what you had. Plus, you have an ocean there. Yeah, the ocean's <laughs> like a, you know, a half hour away or so um, mm -hmm. across town. And, and there's some, um, so if you're not familiar with the Charleston area, a lot of these things, little places are essentially islands. They call them islands. There's John's mm -hmm. Islands and James Island and all that mm -hmm. stuff. You can't really tell that they're an island. It's just like all marsh in between. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's sea marsh, you know, so it, it, it's brackish. Um, so, but yeah. <laughs> so water close by. You, how close do you live to like historical Charleston has all like the pink and blue and yellow houses and. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not far, um, okay. you know, with freeways and, and traffic, it, it's, it's, you know, a little bit further than how if I actually go back to my office someday. <laughs> yeah, the last time we were in Charleston, I don't even know how many years ago, what had to be over five. No, it had to be more than that. Anyway, we took a summer and trip to Charleston and um, there's something called the market. What's that in the old mm -hmm. open market? And we had it on the agenda and like, this is like, do your research, Judy, but it was like not open on that particular day. And I was like, <laughs> like I think they call, I mean, a ho it's, it's a horrible name. It's called like the old slave market or whatever. But yeah, because the, 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 like the slave museum is above it. That's, yeah. what, that's why yeah. it's, uh, they call it like the old slave market or something on like that. Yes. Or, yes. Um, so sometimes when you say, this is what we're going to do tonight, people are like, oh, why would we want to go to the old <laughs> Like, because it's um, not what it's used for now. It's like a farmer's market kind of like a Yeah, it, it actually, kind of thing. so, so the, the, there's a great um, history podcast here in Charleston um, called, I think it's called the Charleston Time Machine. Um, the, the local library runs it. And um, I've learned more about the history of slavery in the city um, just by listening to that. It's a great once a week podcast. Um, but there's some, some great information. But I think if I remember right on those podcasts, they said that that actually wasn't where slave auctions were held they were held other places in town oh. um it just happens to be the slave museum is above it oh okay. so and then the markets <laughs> blow it so it's all gotten intermingled yeah because i thought the same thing too i was so i was really curious when uh, i heard that episode yeah, well it's on the like the tour sites and you're like why would people want to go here like i don't get it but <laughs> anyway so yeah all right well we're just about out of time it was nice chatting with you um I don't know if Jeff or Jessica have anything that they want to chime in on or ask. Um, I feel like you guys were like little kids when Chris and I were going through this journey. journey so maybe you can. <laughs> I have a silly question. Uh -huh. um, is Louisiana as haunted as everybody says it is? Oh, you know, one of my, um, you can go, you can take um, like ghost tours and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but one of the my favorite tours, I've gone on it three times because I lived there, and every time somebody new came down to come see me, I'd take them on it. Um, was the vampire tour? Um, starts in front of St. Louis Cathedral, like at eight o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. The guys are dressed up in in goth, and you go. They tell stories about you know the the buildings around the the, the French Quarter, and um, you know, and then. The, you go to vampire bars because you know it's new orleans yeah um <laughs> but the uh but you know everything and and the only thing i would suggest is to rewatch uh interview with a vampire before taking the tour gotcha. because because they filmed it in um the french quarter oh. and so they take you to some of the movie spots as well oh, cool. um for for example in the book there's a scene that that 
happens in St. Louis Cathedral, but St. Louis Cathedral was not going to let them film, <laughs> film in there. <laughs> uh-uh. They did ask though. <laughs> but the last time I took that tour, um, my our, our tour guides got jumped by two um, homeless people. Oh, geez. And, Perfect. And, yeah, but, and before I could pull my cell phone out of my pocket, because I did have one at that time, finally, um, it was old StarTech Motorola flip phone, um, <laughs> that uh, the police were actually already there before I even could get it out of my pocket. And they were on horseback, and they were arrested. And, of course, only me and one other guy were actually people who lived in New Orleans, and we got called back to go to their hearing, like, mm. six months later. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> It was an adventure. <laughs> oh, I bet. I've always thought about going to New Orleans with students on a summer end trip or just because I wanted to go, but I'm like, is it more of a grown up city? I don't know if there's enough stuff for underage people to do. And, you know, um, and then like the stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm going to have to take a cemetery tour. <laughs> yeah, cemetery tours are fun. Um, and, you know, and, and, the French Quarter during the day isn't too terrible. Isn't terrible for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the Bourbon um, Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bourbon, yeah, Bourbon Street during the day is fine. Um, okay. One street over on Royal Street is uh, is where like a lot of the shops are. You okay. know, taking them down to the French Market um, is always fun. Um, though, if you ever do that, call me first because I got to run them through all the things that that not to do scammers. Okay. Try to do that are, that are new New Orleans specific. Um, so <laughs> great. Call me call me on that one. It's stupid yeah. stuff, but they but you know they're gonna get kids like that in a heartbeat. So yeah, you yeah. hate to see that happen. Um, yeah. but it's really hot in summer, so it's kind of yeah icky. Um, yeah. but there's also we could find like a professional development opportunity duty that is yes in New Orleans. <laughs> New Orleans. <laughs> there you go we'll stake it out ahead of time right 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 um i was gonna say the the uh audubon zoo i actually never got a chance to go to the audubon zoo um but that's supposed to be pretty good um in up in uptown as well as the aquarium is pretty decent too um i did go to that isn't there like jazz land or something like amusement park or something there used to be okay that was before katrina that was actually opened when i was there and (laughs) and shortly and it was open for a very short period of time um if you look at um if you google uh uh, like the abandoned places in jazz land some of those pictures are just haunting it looks haunted um it's very very if you like those kind of creepy pictures um Uh but you know people have gone to the abandoned um jazz land to take pictures uh I always thought that would be fun. Yeah. When we have our uh, mastery prep ACT boot camp, usually in February, we did it virtually this year because of COVID, but the facilitator usually comes from New Orleans and it's always in February. And uh, undoubtedly, we have like a snowstorm or it's like super below zero. And I'm always like, you know, make sure you bring gloves. And like, and he's like, well, how cold is it? And I'm like, and he would show up and he would just be like, how, how is anybody like live here? <laughs> how did you get him to, how did you get him to leave, you know, um, Louisiana during Mardi Gras? Well, and that's what he said. Like last year, he said, you have to know that I think it was just, just before maybe, or right after Mardi Gras started, they were, I think they were having the boat parade last year and his kids were of course like showing him pictures and stuff. And, 
and he's like I hope you know that I'm up here right at Mardi Gras and I'm like I know I'm so sorry I don't like pay attention to these things when we're planning <laughs> this kind of stuff oh my, my brother got married on the weekend before Mardi Gras and I had to come back up and I was so mad and then that, and <laughs> that ended up being the last Mardi Gras I, I, I got to go to when I lived there I was so angry, so angry. <laughs> oh wow Jessica, we forgot to take a break for your announcements, but I guess no, I, I separated out in um, okay post. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we, we just, I really appreciate you joining us, and um, this is just another way we're trying to engage with our students. So it was good to see you and hear from you, and um, yeah, I see yeah. you on Facebook a lot, but you know that's not the same. <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I have these Zoom meetings with my or, you know Zoom meetings do happy hours with my friends from high school still so yeah um cool. it, it's good to do um yeah. but yeah no this was great uh i've always wanted to you know catch the upward brown kids when they were around and yep. um i'm never home during summer so yeah well if you are you know message <laughs> <Yeah>. me so <laughs> will do will do okay well thanks for your time um sure. and well you know be seeing you <laughs> on social media or whatever so right right all right stay well <laughs> you too and, thanks guys uh, all right all right Thank you for listening and tuning in. I know that was a lot of like reminiscing and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we were very happy to have Dr. Chris Bronk come on our podcast. So if you have any questions for her or Judy or anybody else, if you're thinking about going to a school in New Orleans or any of the other places she mentioned, please feel free to reach out to me and Judy or Jeff and then we can get you her information so you can ask her any questions you need or you can ask us the questions and we'll pass it on so thanks all for listening and we will see you next month